Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Heaton Shah. Heaton is the co-founder and president of analytics companies Kissmetrics and Crazy Egg. He founded Kissmetrics with Neil Patel back in 2008, and the company has raised over $10 million in funding to date. It's used by thousands of companies around the world. Hidden is also an advisor and investor who's actively involved in the startup community. Hidden, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Now, before we talk about Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics, tell our audience a little bit about yourself personally. Um, who is Hidden when he's not working on the business? Sure. Um, I, I tend to enjoy helping other people, uh, maybe, uh, to a fault and more than other people, uh, more than most other people. So my, my hobby tends to be just actually meeting with other entrepreneurs, uh, whether formally or informally and, and advising them, uh, more than anything else. That's, uh, that's been what gets me sort of excited and gets my blood going. Great. Now, before we dive into more details and um, talk about the business, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite success quotes? Yeah, so I have a, a quote right in the uh, footer of my emails. They're in every email. And I call it the words I live by. And it's a quote by Zig Ziglar. And it basically says, you will get all you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Can you give me an example of how that quote's helped you in your life? Um, I I think a lot of times people will. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit different when you're a founder, but and you start companies. But generally speaking, helping helping other people isn't a a normal thing for people to do on a regular basis. I know that sounds kind of weird, but uh, you're so like in tune with what you want to do and what you're trying to get done. And so the way this has helped me is just, it's, it's just a reminder that I, in, in many experiences of my own, whether it's, uh, you know, just randomly helping a stranger, uh, all the way to, uh, you know, I was, I was actually at a conference yesterday and speaking and we were, uh, at a sort of mentor session where there was like uh, speed mentoring. Basically you meet with entrepreneurs for 10 minutes. And before that, uh, one of the other mentors was sitting there and, you know, he now works at a startup and he, He's like, do you remember me? I'm like, I remember your face. I'm actually very good at faces, very bad at names. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, and it's probably just because I meet so many people and I'm a very visual person when it comes down to it. Uh, and basically he said, uh, well, you had coffee with me uh, uh, five years ago and uh, you gave me some advice on like my starting my career here in Silicon Valley. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure he's remembered wow. me. Uh, obviously he remembered me and he made it a point to tell me that now, honestly, I barely remember the meeting. I remember like a little bit about it cause we actually ended up going to the Verizon store and stuff like that. But like, um, it, it's not something I would have recalled any other way, except the fact that he reminded me. So I think that just this fact that people remember when you help them, uh, that leads to a lot of uh, good things, uh, you know, that are derivative of that. And, uh, you know, if you're going into meetings or going into meeting people and thinking that, you know, you want something from them, it's typically not going to be as fruitful as just going in with a more open mind. Uh, and obviously the caveats are there can be specifically business meetings and other things that, you know, you have some, some kind of mutual, uh, agenda or whatever, but, 
uh, most of the time I go into meetings pretty, pretty uh, open. Yeah. Even business meetings for myself, at least uh, just to see kind of where things go. So you said that, you know, you love to help people and sometimes to a fault, how how does that work out for you? I mean, you you know, you I'm sure you're a busy guy anyway in in you know, just with running your own business. And the more people you help, I I'm I'm guess it attracts even more people, right? So how how do you how do you manage your time? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I I uh I think I, I know I know a lot about myself at this point. So, so that's probably uh one of the one of the keys. Um Managing my time. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to tell another story because I actually met someone else yesterday. Uh, one of the people I was uh, mentoring, although uh, he could have been me- he could have been a mentor there. And uh, I, I have a, lo- a lot of different businesses that I work on at the same time. And we were just talking, and uh, I and and I was sort of explaining to him my philosophy about things, and it's very similar to his. He didn't describe it the same way, but basically, um, and it, it was just nice to know that someone else thinks the way I do. Uh, and he, he has about five different businesses that he runs. Uh, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in that range of three to five that I'm involved in or running or whatever. Um, and uh, the, w- the one thing that I, I basically said was like, I, I actually try to keep my time as free as possible. And the reason I try to keep my time as free as possible is, is just a few tenants or a few, not even rules, just concepts. And, and obviously these kind of things are meant to be broken, but one of them is, um, the idea that if if I'm doing work, like actual real sitting down in front of a computer and doing work, it's likely that somebody else in my company is not doing work. And what I mean by that is uh, there's always going to be somebody better than me at doing the work. Uh, and that's the conclusion I've come to. So I think th- this question has more to do with someone's personality. And so my personality type is more, like I said, the helper. So uh, if I want to help somebody and that's what I'm optimizing for, then what I try to do is keep my time free so that if any of those people that are working in my companies, and, and it could be someone as like, you know, uh, a marketing person in one of my companies or uh, one of the uh, VPs uh, or our CRO or whatever it, whatever it may be. And I just try to keep my time as open as possible so that when they have a problem they can't solve, I can help them think through it. And, I, you know, uh, this is one of the debates that this guy and I had yesterday. But I was just saying that I can help them solve any problem. He's like, well, you can try. I'm like, no, I can help them solve any problem. That's my goal. You know, and, and so to me, it's like I think every problem solvable. A lot of times when these, these people in companies are, are sort of actually working on the work, uh, they tend to be uh, really deep in their work and they just need uh, somebody to help them think about it. So I optimize the way I think about things, the way I do things, the way I work with people around this con- idea that their hardest problems are my problems. And they just need to be able to bring those to me and understand that I am available for those at any time. And that's the sort of way that I've optimized uh, the, the work I do and how I do these things. I love that philosophy. All right, let's start by giving the listeners a better understanding of Kiss Metrics and Crazy Egg. Who are your target customers for these products? And what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve? Sure. Uh, so, uh, crazy egg was actually the first business that we tried. My co-founder and Neil and I tried in 2005 that actually worked. We tried many others before that, but this one is the one that worked and worked meaning customers loved it. And, uh, they started signing up for it and paying us. And, uh, what it does is it creates heat maps where people are clicking on a page. So it gives you a visual representation of data. 
Uh, and at that time, uh, there weren't any other tools that gave you this kind of sort of visual representation of data. There were a few others that started around the same time as us, but they all went in different directions. And we've, we've stayed true to the fact that we want to help people understand data visually, uh, see where people are clicking on top of a sort of web page is kind of the, 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 the quick sort of pitch. Um, but the, the target customer originally was actually uh, web designers because uh, they, one, tend to, tend to you know, not necessarily pay attention to analytics too much. Um, at least historically, and also were uh, an opportunity for us to to get an early audience. And since then, the companies progressed, uh, the products progressed, and, and I think the world has also evolved, where many people care about web pages and where people are clicking and are trying to make these pages better, optimize them, test them, etc. So it's expanded from you know designers to marketers to even product people. Anybody responsible for a website is basically where, where we're at now. Um, so yeah, that's crazy egg. And then with Kissmetrics, we were essentially building uh, a uh, a second product outside of Crazy Egg, uh, or as part of Crazy Egg, and we decided to spin it out and make it a separate company, and it ended up being Kissmetrics. Um, the story before Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics uh, is probably will give you a good idea of uh, and your audience a good idea of kind of how we thought about things, but we, we were, do, we were running a marketing consulting company and we would basically uh, do marketing for other people. And so our initial audience uh, for Kissmetrics ended up being marketers. Um, and uh, our, our whole goal there was to help people measure their marketing better. And the, the premise, which uh, I'm, I'm you know happy to say is, is what a lot of products do now is at the time it was um, we noticed a pattern that people were building a lot of analytics tools in-house and so uh, in-house meaning like they were just building them themselves with their own engineers. And we were wondering why they were doing that, considering the fact that Google Analytics existed, Omniture exists, and all these tools existed. And uh, in the case of uh, an alternative like Google Analytics compared to building it themselves, Google Analytics didn't tie the data to their users. While um, Omniture did do that, but it made it very, very difficult. And it was also a very expensive solution. So our whole thesis was there's a, a very large market of people, uh, website owners, uh, or even marketers that are looking for a better solution and are willing to pay more than free, uh, which is what Google Analytics was at the time. And the, the advantage we had was we would tie the data to individual users so you can understand things like the lifetime value of your customer and everything that a single person did uh, and interacted with uh, in your uh, sort of on your website or even with your business outside of just your website. So that was the thesis, which is a sort of person-based analytics tool. So I want to talk about how you guys, you and Neil got started um, probably initially with Crazy Egg. But before we do that, you know, it was interesting you said that Crazy Egg was the first um, product or business product, I think, that that actually worked. Can you Give me one example of a product that you try to build before that that didn't work. Sure. Uh, we've had a, a bunch, but uh, one was a failed web hosting business. We spent about a million dollars trying to get a web host- hosting business running uh, off the ground, and it never launched. So that was probably uh, one of the bigger failures from a monetary standpoint. Uh, another one was a podcast advertising network. And uh, the story there is like, um, this is when podcasting was... Uh, I, I think it's making a resurgence, but this was like 2007, 2008, maybe 2006 even, uh, around that time. 
And it, it was just people thought all kinds of things would be uh, awesome. And so we tried doing it. And what we learned uh, uh, after spending like, I think, $50,000, in like six months, uh, we, we actually found out that it wasn't going to, wasn't going to work monetarily. Um, so, uh, yeah. So as a result, we basically, uh, shut that one down. We shut down the web hosting company as well. And one of the biggest lessons from that was just that, um, you shouldn't invest so much time and energy, uh, whether it's, uh, engineering resources, uh, money, whatever, until you've actually figured out whether it's a good idea and a good idea isn't like, because you think it's a good idea a good idea would be a good idea because customers are actually willing to buy something from you. Uh, and so, and because you're generally solving a problem for them, that's, uh, not just like a, a vitamin, but a actual painkiller. Did, did you get funding for the web hosting business? No, we did not. It was all of our own money. So you guys personally lost a million dollars. That's correct. Yep. Now that's, that's that sure is an expensive lesson. Yeah. We, yeah. That, that was the most expensive one, but accumulative, it's probably somewhere in the two to three million range of our own money. Okay, so let's go on to um, where the idea came, for Crazy Egg came from. So you and Neil were working on this uh, consulting business. Uh, you're seeing a potential opportunity around you for this product. Just tell me a little bit more about where that idea sort of evolved. Yeah, sure. So in Google Analytics uh, and Omniture, they had this thing called a site overlay. Um, and it basically, if you had, and there's a big problem with it, if you had dynamic things on the page, so this is when uh, we used to call like uh, uh, some, you know, like uh, all the fancy things we could do on a web page with JavaScript, we used to call it Ajax. And so I'm sure you remember being, in, uh, <laughs> being a product manager um, or program manager, but um uh, yeah, so we used to call it Ajax, and uh, the overlays didn't work well with Ajax. So they 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 couldn't really understand that people were clicking on things and they weren't going to a new page. Uh, so that was one problem. Another problem we noticed is that, um, and these are technical problems, but made they made the overlays inaccurate. So that's that's uh, if you're working on a product and you know you see a lot of inaccuracies in existing products, it is an opportunity to think about it a little bit deeper. And so another thing that we noticed was that if you had two links on a page and they went to the same next page, uh, the site overlays would make the data for the links cumulative. So if the top one got 30 clicks and the bottom one got 10, uh, the data in the site overlays would show 40 for each, which was very deceiving and wrong. Um, and so we started building technology to actually differentiate which one uh, was clicked on. And uh, if you fast forward to today, this is like trivial stuff to do. Back then though, it wasn't even trivial to do. So I'm not saying it was rocket science, but it was definitely not as easy as as it is today. And it has a lot to do with modern browsers and all these other technical things I won't get into. But um, so we, we just noticed those two problems that were more of a technical problem, which made the site overlay grossly inaccurate. Uh, we were able to understand this because we were using the products, but we also had a lot of friends as well as customers and other folks uh, that were using the products and complaining about this. Uh, so I think complaints from existing products is always uh, a, a potential good way to start uh, a product. That's not the only way, but it's definitely one that we used in that case. And then the other third thing was this higher level sort of issue where people had a hard time understanding numbers and data and tables. And that's all the analytics tools would show you. And even those site overlays were very uh, data heavy. And so what we did is we actually first started by building a better site overlay because we knew that the technical risk of uh, being able to actually um, do all that stuff I mentioned accurately 
uh, was a key to the product. And so we started building that, built a better site overlay. And then we were like uh, in what I like to call early access period. I don't really like beta and alpha as terminology because it's very geeky and also inaccurate. <laughs> um, and so we basically called it early access and had a bunch of designers from a community that we knew really well, which was a nine rules community. It's a really large uh, design community. And we had a lot of those folks trying the product. And what we realized at the time was that um, we needed something better than just a site overlay. And that's where we sort of invented the heat map because we wanted to come up with a better way to represent that data, uh, not just a site overlay. And so it was actually the overlay that was first and a concept from other tools that we took and made it better. And then we extended it from there. So now then that was literally how this whole category of heat mapping and stuff like that was uh, created. Okay. So you, you had this idea uh, how did you go about building the product? Now, now, neither you or Neil are developers, right, by trade? That's right. So what? how how did you get the product built? Yeah, we'd already worked with a bunch of designers. So we had some designers uh, helping us. Uh, so that was uh, relatively easy. And then we had uh, uh, some uh, engineers that they actually knew at the time. And uh, we also knew enough about engineering to be very, pretty dangerous. Uh, this at, at this point, I'm... I'm <laughs> At this point, I'd say I'm very dangerous, but um, uh, at that point, I was a little dangerous. And so uh, we found some engineers, and they actually started building it, and uh, we actually ran into a pretty big issue uh, with the way they were doing it. So what they were doing is if you clicked anything on the page that went to a new page, it would actually redirect directly in the browser the, 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 the data to our server. So it would basically go do a redirect to a crazy egg URL and then take you back to where you were supposed to go if you were visiting these sites, and that was a pretty inefficient way to do it. And also... Wow caused some issues uh, when we had uh, downtime and other things like that. Uh, and this was very early. And so what we did was uh, I, I went on a hunt uh, to find an uh, uh, engineer or a set of engineers. And uh, I got very lucky. And uh, the, the engineer that's working on uh, Crazy Egg has been with us since then. Uh, and he actually owns a percentage of the company and everything now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we, we have uh, we got lucky finding somebody. Uh, but I did put the work in to get lucky. So I probably talked about a hundred engineers that knew Ruby on rails just cause that was a hot thing at the time. And there was a, on Ruby on rails.org. There probably still is, but there was a directory at the time and uh, I could just go down the directory and find a way to contact those folks. And that's what I did one by one. And I told them my problem and I told them I needed help. And I tried to figure out if they had any time to help me or could even talk about it intelligently. What I was looking for was someone that could basically uh, talk to me, about the problem in my terms, being a non-engineer, uh, based on my description and taking a quick look at the product. And uh, we, we found somebody who, who, th- who said he could do it better and he could do it better in a very relatively fast uh, amount of time. And he took over that whole product. Okay, so, you know, I think a lot of people uh, who are maybe non-technical uh, are kind of held back by, you know, building a, a software product because they just, you know, Hey, I, I, I just don't know that stuff. I can't write code. I can't do all of these things that clearly hasn't held you back. What, what advice would you give those people? Yeah. Um, so you have a few options, you know, um, one, uh, you can learn to code or two, you can, uh, find a, or actually, yeah. So two, you can find a co-founder who can code, uh, if you have a friend from college or anything like that, those are always great options. And then three, you can just, if you have money or know how to make money uh, in some other way, like consulting or whatever, you can pay uh, outsourced uh, or insourced, whatever. You can basically pay a development shop 
to work with you. Uh, so those are the sort of three options. And uh, from from my perspective today, um, I, I might do a combination of them if I were to start today, just because it's really easy to learn the program now. Uh, you could even go to like these boot camps and stuff like that. Uh, it's also pretty easy to learn on your own online because there's just so many things like Codecademy and and you know all these like tutorial sites and all that stuff. Uh, it was much harder when I started to even learn how to program. Um, so the, I would I would do that for sure because then at least you'll get a faster uh, uh, ramp up to the terminology. But you know the part I didn't say earlier was like when I was talking to these people, I was in front of my computer and I was googling all kinds of crap. And the reason I was googling this stuff is because. Um, I was trying to understand what they were talking about really fast. So <laughs> I would just start Googling and I, I'm really good at using Google at this point, but at the at that time I was pretty good. But um, yeah, so I would, you know, I guess the high level thing for me is like, you know, we're all, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? We, we all have some base level of intelligence. There's no reason you can't figure something out just because you're a non-engineer. What you really need is you need to be able to know how to ask the right questions Google things, obviously, and get a good understanding of the basics of engineering, no matter what, right? And I wouldn't even say my understanding is formal. My understanding is very loose, but like you put me in front of any engineer and I can ask them the right questions to understand what the hell they're talking about. And I can, in in a lot of times, a lot of cases, I can even help them with their problem, even though I know nothing about how to write code. I can read a little bit of code, but I can't really do much with it. I don't know how to make my own code from scratch. I made multiple attempts to try to code and it just, I don't know, it doesn't stick for me right now. It's not even because I can't, it's because I don't have the patience to be honest. Um, and so, you know, my, my advice is like, don't get over yourself and don't think you can't learn it or don't think you can't have a reasonable conversation with an engineer. The end, at the end of the day, the best engineers are the ones that can talk to non, non-engineering people. That's, that's great advice. Okay, so you, you've got the, the crazy egg product built. Um, what kind of validation did you do at that time before you built the product? Yeah, uh, we, we, we did what a lot of people do now and that I didn't really see a lot of people do back then, which is we threw up a landing page um, and we have, uh, yeah, so we threw up a landing page and then we had uh, uh, a lot of people sign up with just their email address and uh, basically, we 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 had a big pool of early access folks. We also happened to have money because we were uh, we had our consulting company, and we basically uh, bought some traffic from uh, the CSS galleries. Uh, you might remember those if you're uh, uh, looking mm-hmm. around back in the day. This is when CSS. I don't mean CSS three HTML five. I mean CSS. Uh, and this is when like Zen Garden and all these sites were really popular, and they had a lot of traffic. And honestly, the advertising on, the, on, on those sites was very inexpensive. Like it was like a couple hundred bucks a month and we would get thousands of visitors to our website. And so we, we bought a, a few ads and we also just promoted it during in the Nine Rules Network. And we basically uh, got about 23,000 email addresses uh, for early access uh, before we even launched the product. And, and we used that pool to uh, get people uh, uh, to you know, start using the product early. Did you charge for the product when you launched? Uh, yeah, we had, yeah, actually we did. We had a free plan for a while. That was when we were in early access. So not everyone could, we went, we, we weren't letting everyone sign up then. And then literally when we launched, we had a free plan and paid plans. All right. So you've got this, this product in market. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, you started to sort of work on the next, initially, did it start out as kind of like the next version of crazy egg? What eventually evolved into Kissmetrics? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we we at that time, like it was a trend where uh, a lot of the SaaS uh, businesses would create multiple products um, instead of doubling down on a single product. And so we had the same notion that, oh, let's create more products because we have this user base and they'll use the other product too. So we just literally, we just uh, literally started um, building that uh, other product and trying to think about it. Uh, and it wasn't really out out of Crazy Egg. It was just the idea that we got pretty good at building analytics products uh, and with Crazy Egg and knew a lot about JavaScript and stuff like that and big data or whatever you want to call it before it was called that. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of how we thought about it. Now, for Kissmetrics, you, you actually decided to find investors and get funding for the business. What was the reason for taking a different approach here? Yeah, um, Crazy Egg always, uh, and even to this day, fits in a relatively small market uh, just because it's just a heat mapping tool. It, it is in the broader analytics market, but it's sort of a, a niche tool at the moment. Uh, it still is. Uh, and, and we like it that way because it's really simple. People will sign up online. We have no salespeople. Uh, and it was a self-service product back then uh, in 05 when nobody was really building those. Uh, very few people were. And uh, so uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we just... Um, sort of uh, wanted wanted more uh, more things out there uh, like that. Uh, and uh, we sort of just started building uh, something else. And so how did you go about finding your investors? Yeah, we um, had talked to investors in, I'd say, 2006. Uh, a lot of them. Uh, I actually have old decks of Crazy Egg that I saw the other day. Uh, where we were pitching them and nobody would give us money because it was a niche product. And uh, so when we started building Kissmetrics, we uh, either we got smarter or we got lucky, however <laughs> you want to look at it. And uh, it just people felt like it was a broader opportunity. Got it. And okay. so we were able to get money. Actually, the same people we pitched for uh, the folks at True Ventures that turned us down for Crazy Egg ended up uh, funding us for Kissmetrics on our first round and a bunch of other folks, but they were the first. Okay, so tell tell me a, a little bit about what happened with with sort of the Kiss Metrics early days. So you've got the idea, um, you've got um, you know investors on board. Um, did you build out a different, a separate team as well? Yeah. So there were some people we took over from Crazy Egg. We also had our consulting business still running at the time. We took a bunch of people over from there, uh, and and we we had a founding team of about four or five people for Kissmetrics. And once we raised the money, we, we focused all our energies on that business and all those people's energies on that business. And then obviously started hiring new people too. Okay. Um, how, how did you go about acquiring customers for Kissmetrics? Did you, did you guys bring on a sales force for that? Or, or were you focusing on sort of inbound marketing? What, what, were, what were the things that worked for you guys? Yeah, uh, first couple of years, uh, we're actually just trying to figure out what the right product was. So we had, we actually started with Facebook Analytics. So for Facebook applications, because we saw that they didn't have anything, we moved away from that pretty fast because we didn't see that as a long-term market. And we were very dependent on Facebook. I'd rather be dependent on the internet than Facebook. So uh, that was, uh, and, and it's proven to be the right call because there is no Facebook Analytics tool now, uh, at least for the applications because they killed applications. Uh, and so that was just in flux. We noticed that. So we stopped doing that. Uh, and then we pivoted to something that looked more like a business intelligence tool. Uh, and there's a bunch of other tools on the market like that. But what we realized about that is it wasn't really solving that person-based analytics problem. And so that's when we hit the current version of Kissmetrics that actually, actually in a very similar way to Crazy Egg, 
started out as, oh, the funnels in analytics tools really suck, and we can make them better. And so Kissmetrics actually started out as a funnel funnel tool. Uh, and we did funnels, again, just like with heat maps. And I'm not tooting my own horn. This is what people said. But we did it better than anyone else at the time. And that whole model of how we did funnels has been adopted by uh, a lot of analytics tools. Uh, and the idea was you, most people think of a funnel as top to bottom. We actually invented the idea of a left to right funnel and the ability to add steps at any time uh, and, and, and basically just track data and you can build out as many funnels as you want. And at the time, the way that funnels were built was uh, much different uh, where you would have to track the data, hope that it worked, set up the funnel, uh, and it's actually set up the funnel, track the data, hope it worked. And there was like this whole seven to 10 day period just to figure out whether you had an accurate funnel or not. A lot of the way Google Analytics still works is like that. And we just thought that was pathetic. And so uh, we decided to do it better. So in our case, we made it so that you just track data first and then you can build out the reports on the fly uh, after you've tracked the data. And, and that's how the system works. That's how the whole, uh, I think the whole industry has gone in that direction, uh, especially the new new players. Uh, and the new companies like us. Um, but uh, the to answer your question about how we started, like w- the way we always thought about it is if we, we, we will know and when our customers are raving about something we've built and we were able to get a lot of early customers that are not paying uh, into early access programs uh, just because, uh, you know, we, 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 had, we were marketers and we knew how to get people's attention and get them to start using our products. So, we actually started out, we always tend to start out with uh, a small number of customers, make them very happy, uh, and they might not even be paying for a period of time, keep iterating the product until it gets to that point where people love it. And then we would sort of, uh, at the same time, we'd have the landing page and getting more and more emails and more and more information about people that are interested, learning more about them. Uh, and then once we knew that we had a resemblance of something that was early and that people would be happy with after we iterated it quite a bit, we would then put it out. Uh, and start getting more customers. And so early on, it was just very similar to Crazy Egg. And then over time, that business has evolved so that we actually started doing inbound marketing, if if you want to call it that. I would just say all we did was start a blog and had a really strong Twitter presence. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it inbound marketing or not. I don't really care. Uh, but uh, we wanted traffic. We wanted attention. And we knew that we could be a top marketing blog. And that's why we did that. Uh, and it, it's it's still a top marketing blog today, and it, it is the way we get most of our leads. So it was a early strategy that we started, I would say, about 18 months to two years into the business. And it's been, it'll continue for a very long time because it, it is the way to do it. So we generally try to find these emerging trends in marketing and try to be early in them. And I think blogging, business blogging, and and especially uh, this marketing blog was a easy easy big trend for us. Uh, but for us, actually, uh, the story people don't really know too much is that it actually started with a Twitter account. So we found that the Kissmetrics Twitter account, we could share links about analytics and marketing and people would, you know, retweet it and then we'd get more followers. And this is when Twitter was still in a high growth mode. I wouldn't say they're in high growth right now. Um, and so a lot of new people were coming on. They were all very tech, tech oriented people. And there was this hashtag, the measure hashtag. So it's hashtag measure, M-E-A-S-U-R-E. And that's where all the marketers and analytics folks would hang out. Uh, and so we would start hashtagging that, sharing a lot of their content. And then over time, you know, we built our own blog and then we started sharing our own content. And now, uh, you know, the, the blog trumps the Twitter account uh, in, in terms of the influence it has, but it actually started with Twitter for us. So I would just say that like y- your, your potential customers are hanging out somewhere. And, you know, the strategy we tend to use is 
obviously keep working on your product. And, and, and we, we like to do that somewhat behind the scenes in the sense of not trying to, you know, get thousands of customers before the product actually is awesome. Just try to get hundreds uh, and test it with them. Uh, and these are your sort of early evangelists, people that really want to solve the problem badly and will we'll deal with your bullshit like uh, bugs and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, from there, when you're, when you're ready, like just blow it out and, and be ready to, and if you've engaged with these communities online, um, you'll be, you'll be sort of ready to, ready to do that and ready to get more users, uh, once the product's uh, there and people love it. I'm glad you mentioned about the Twitter account, right. In terms of just being very, very agile and, and lightweight as you started your marketing efforts. I think, uh, you know, some people listening to this might think, okay, Heaton had, a ton of money to do all the things that he he did, right? I mean, we're bootstrapping. We we you know they these guys even had a million dollars when they bootstrapped their own business, um, but we don't have that. It's a lot harder for us to do these things and to go and acquire customers and and so what what would you say to them and and what sort of advice would you give them? Yeah, um, I'd say that like it's not the money; it's the thinking. And so, you know, we, we just knew there's customers out there and we, we wanted to engage them. Twitter didn't cost us any money. We were just engaging with the audience because they were there. So if you want to build an audience and engage with them, I'd say today it's easier than ever to do it uh, very inexpensively. And so you could, I mean, you could just put out a blog, pop out a blog, even if it's not on your own site, you can do a Tumblr or a Medium or a WordPress blog. Uh, I, I usually recommend self-hosted, but that is a little more work and does cost some money. But if you can't, and just go to WordPress.com and get a blog, right? Uh, and then start blogging to your audience about, and even if you don't have any ideas of what to blog about, just start talking about what you're working on and why you're working on it and why you're excited about it. And people will come to you, right? And make sure you're collecting e- their email address and then starting to engage with them. I don't know. It's, it's effort. If you don't have money, you can put effort in. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to give, you know, I've been called Mr. Tough Love on, on occasion, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that, uh, it's just an excuse. I don't have money. That's an excuse. Like, it's like, okay, you don't have money. Do you have time? I don't have time and money. Well, then you're not ready, you know? So it's like, it's usually one or the other, uh, that you have in every scenario I've seen. So you have to have the desire that you want to do this. Uh, and if you, if you don't, then no one can help you. It doesn't matter how much money or time you have. So I think the desire is important. And then, you tend to figure it out. And like I said, today it is easier than ever to start and even get some resemblance of, of, of you know, hundreds of customers. It's not rocket science. And the content's even out there on how you can do that. My co-founder blogs about stuff like this all the time on his blog. Um, I, on my email newsletter, I share links about this kind of stuff. And that's just two of us. I mean, there's hundreds of people, even a lot of the content on your site. There's, there's these people that are telling you how to do this. All you have to do is, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, is stop reading and start doing. Um, you know, I'd encourage everyone that's just not started yet to just start. You know, just just and read only things that are going to help you do things. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think it's very easy, and and personally, I found that as well is just to get into this mode where you're just consuming content all the time, and at some point, it just becomes too much noise, right? It just, it just distracts you from getting started, taking action. And, and I think you have to make that decision at some point in terms of, you know, how are you going to spend most of your time consuming content or are you going to actually start creating something? 
That's correct. Okay, so you, you launched Kissmetrics back in 2008. Do you remember what the growth trajectory looked like? Uh, we didn't focus on growth till about 2010 because uh, we were still working on the product and we didn't really, yeah, the, the short answer is no. Okay. And so how long did it take you to, you know, get to a sizable audience? Like what was a big milestone for you in terms of customer acquisition? Yeah, we just never thought of it the way you're describing it. So I don't really have a good answer. It was more like building channels and things like that. So I don't have any dates or any idea of a timeline of when we got to like X or Y or Z. So why, why was that not um, important to you guys? Like how, what, what was driving you instead? Um, I, I wouldn't say I'd do it the same way again. But for us, what was driving us is we knew we needed an audience. And so we tend to start building an audience really early, usually first, because uh, we tend to think that if you have an audience first, at least you have people that can try whatever you put out there. And so we focused on the audience. And then after that, um, it was like focusing on the product because sometimes you'll get a product right, but you know you have a lot more work to do to make it actually uh, feasible, uh, whether you're doing hacky stuff first and stuff like that. We would do a lot of hacky stuff just to see what would work. And then once we figured out what worked, that's when sometimes a bunch of the engineers would have to, you know, spend a month or two, up to a month or two to just fix our mess <laughs> now that we know <laughs> we need to scale it. And, and so if we have a blog, if we have a Twitter account, if we have an audience always coming and we can feed that, um, we're not wasting time uh, and we're not waiting. And what I mean by that is we're not waiting on growing the audience. So for us, these milestones weren't important. What was really important is that knowing that we wanted an audience first, knowing that we needed the right product before we could even hit the gas. And so, uh, yeah, so we, we never really thought of it like that. I think in today's world, a lot of the things that we did back then are the norm for, for, the, for, for people that are actually understand uh, how to build software businesses now. Uh, and so the milestones are much easier to figure out. For example, if you assess that there is an opportunity for creating a blog, I don't think everyone should necessarily create one, but if you do assess that in your market, then your first milestone is probably like, can we get to, you know, 50,000 unique visitors? And then your next milestone is like 250,000 or maybe it's 100,000 first, right? And so you have these milestones on, on the amount of traffic you can get. Um, and in some cases, it might even be the amount of emails you're getting off of your blog because uh, at this point, we all know that email is really important uh, and a great way to engage an audience. And so... I'd say milestones are more important now just because there's a lot more you can do and a lot more predictability and control. Uh, back then, we just didn't worry about thinking about it like that. Okay, so you've got the the product in market. It's growing. Um, tell me about um, a, a particular challenge you faced as the business and the product started to grow, either on the business or the product side. Um, I think there's new challenges all the time. Uh, so I don't really have, yeah. And I don't, I probably view these things different than other people. So it's probably hard for me to remember any of them, to be honest. <laughs> there's just something new every day. So if you want me to get more specific to kind of what would be useful, uh, let me know or what, what's on your mind about challenges. Yeah, I guess, you know, what I'm thinking about challenges is that, you know, once you go from sort of, um, idea and launching the business, you have a certain set of challenges and then you sort of go into a next phase where 
Um, you know, maybe you're, you're building out uh, a team or a bigger team. Um, the, the business and product is starting to grow, but quite often you start to face a different set of challenges. It could be maybe around, uh, you know, now you have problems around hiring or maybe it's around, you know, you have issues around how you communicate effectively in an organization, which is becoming bigger. You know, were they those kinds of challenges that you faced along the way with Kissmetrics? Um, yeah, again, like it's a generic question and there's probably a lot of content out there about all these challenges. I don't, I don't, I don't really, the truth is like, I don't care about the challenges. I invite them. And I think there's new challenges all the time. Um, every time when you try to grow your business and you, and you start getting more and more people in the company, uh, one thing I like to say is there's always more people, which means more problems. Um, and I'm not saying that means you shouldn't have more people. It just means that you should be sort of more conscious about who you're hiring and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say one of the biggest mistakes I see other people making, and I make this mistake too, uh, has everything to do with um, sort of hiring and uh, making sure you're hiring the right people and then not letting go of people that are not a good fit, even if uh, they sort of somehow got into the company. So those are the types of things that I, uh, I probably think about more than anything else, which is how do you scale a business? And how do you make sure that it's uh, healthy from a culture standpoint? Okay, so we started this conversation by going back to where the idea for these two businesses came from. And then we've sort of taken this journey together on on how you guys turn those ideas into successful products. Let's talk about the business today. What sort of revenue are you guys doing? Yeah, we don't talk about that. So are you doing over a million dollars? We just won't talk about that at all. Because <laughs> it's not it's not public. If it was public, I'm happy to talk about it, but it's not. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the size of the team. How how uh, big are the teams now? So at Crazy Egg, we've we've maintained a pretty small team. It's five five full time people. And then at Kissmetrics, it's uh we're hitting close to seventy people now. Okay. All right. Um what's the one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now? Uh, you're great at asking these generic questions. Uh, uh, <laughs> ask me something more specific. Tell me about one specific um, initiative uh, around the product or something you That's guys same, are investing. A, same question asked a different way. You can do better. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to push you to do better. <laughs> Because it's, it's like, yeah, again, I'm not a fan of generic questions because then you're making me do the work. I want you to do the work. What do, what do you think your audience wants to know from me that I haven't said yet? I, I, want, I, want, I want to know what the next big thing is that you're doing with Kissmetrics. Yeah, I'm not going to answer that. It doesn't matter. Like, it's not helpful to anybody, right? I'm talking about myself and my business. It's not like I want to be helpful to your audience. What do they need to know? Well, I think that what they needed to know is... What are you know the challenges that you faced along the way, and what they can learn from that? So, for example, um, it would be really helpful to talk about one specific example that you can tell me, and said, "Hey, you know, um, this is a a big mistake we made along the way, right? And this is the lesson that we learned from that." Yeah, I guess you haven't read enough of my stuff. Yeah, so here's the deal. I don't really like talking about myself because I don't think that most of the time that applies to other people. Uh, I also like getting context before I give anyone any advice or feedback. And so like, uh, 
you know, if I were to give you one, it's like, um, I'll give you one. I will, I will answer something for you, <laughs> but, but my, my point is, and this is probably the thing I'm going to talk about, I think, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, it, it'll be help more applicable than some of the things you're, you're suggesting, but basically, um, the, the way to think about it is that, um, you, you <laughs> in any situation, what I see the mistake most people making is that whether it's in a meeting, when thinking about someone else's product, when thinking about competitors, when thinking about their own business, um, there's all these things, there, there's more things you don't know than things that you do know in most cases. Um, and even when you think you know a lot of things uh, about a specific scenario or something, you, you t- you're, you're probably wrong uh, all the time. And so what I tend to try to do is uh, instead of thinking about what do I know or what do I not know, I just think more practically. And it's probably the fact that I'm very rational about things uh, of just breaking things down in such a way that it's like um, – uh, I'm able to make sort of what I would call binary decisions one at a time. And what I mean by that is, uh, let's say, uh, let's say you think you need funding, right. For, for your business. Uh, the first question I'd ask you is why do you think you need funding? And then you might, you know, come up with something. It doesn't actually matter to me what you say, uh, about that. Uh, what really matters is how you're thinking about it. And, you know, in that process, some people will say, well, I don't know how to get started without money. Right. They won't really say that. People don't like admitting that, but a lot of people are in that scenario. So in that case, I'll be like, well, you don't necessarily need money. You need to know how to get started. So do you want to get started or not? And that's a binary decision, right? Do you want to actually have your own business or not? Or are you just, you know, just saying that because everyone's doing it? Right. And then once you make that decision, you start making more and more binary choices based on it's almost a lot of these things just map to a flow chart in my head. And so what I see a lot of people doing is they start making all these decisions compounded together. It's like, should I start a business? Should I raise money? Uh, should it be a B2B business or a B2C business? Uh, or even the, the, the famous one that I love is like, I don't have any ideas, right? And the real answer to all of that is like, literally just get started, right? In any direction. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you have that desire to start something and you, you don't like where you're at, like you want more for yourself then just get started. So but my biggest piece of advice is just get started. But when I talk about the way these decisions are confounded, I think that like it's really about being 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 able to diligently break down whatever next thing you're trying to do or whatever challenge you have into its components uh, and actually thinking about what decision do I need to make first before anything else. So now I'm going to give you a very practical example against that. So at Kissmetrics, we have, you know, just like any other company, we have a lot of directions we can go in next. Um, in this specific case, we have the direction, uh, a direction we want to go in uh, next. Uh, I can't really talk about it yet. It's not mine to say, but we have a direction we want to go next and it'll, it'll be, you know, revealed like soon enough. And it's not like, it's, it's pretty awesome, I think. But the question that I posed to the company in general was, you know, let's decide whether we want to go in this specific direction or not. Right. And that's the first decision we, we need to make. And the reason is everyone else was trying to tactically figure out how are we going to do that? And we hadn't even decided that we are going to do it yet, which I know sounds really elementary and basic, but like we hadn't decided. I couldn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see the conviction. I just saw all these tactics and all these ideas getting thrown around. 
And so I basically just said, well, like, are we going to do that? Right. And I got a yes. Yes, we are going to do that. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it came from uh, enough people that, uh, you know, it was like, okay, great. We're going to do that. And, and now all the decisions started making so much more sense once we actually had the conviction and said, yes, we're going to do that. And, uh, because we were thinking about all kinds of ways to do it. Do we need to hire more engineers? Can we build it with the existing engineers? Uh, do we go buy a company? Do we, uh, you know, go hire, uh, a development shop. So there's all these things. And it's like, well, we can't really decide unless we decide that we're going to do it. And then the way you evaluate all these things is the, you know, which one is the right way to get to whatever your end goal is. And if you want to build this thing, you know, or whatever, add this capability, whatever it is, um, you, there's a lot of ways to do it, but if you're debating the ways to do it, but you don't have the conviction or you haven't decided that you're going to do it, I think that's, that's, you're doing it the wrong way. So, um, yeah, I really believe in this idea of like breaking things down and having this easy, easier way for us to make decisions. Cause I think even when us as human beings are presented with more than two options, we start getting confused and then that slows us down. And I, I do believe that when you are working on a startup and trying to build a business, speed is number one. Okay. Now you also, um, uh, stepped down from the CEO role a few years ago and brought in somebody to to be the new CEO. Um, what were the reasons behind that? Are you are you how I mean, how involved are you still with Kissmetrics? You you mentioned that you're involved with somewhere between three to five companies. Is is that to to allow you to spend more time in other areas? Yeah. Uh, simply put. Um, at Kissmetrics specifically, uh, we, we had an opportunity to bring on uh, somebody who we thought could do a better job uh, than we were doing at certain parts of the business. And so uh, we made the decision to do that. In our case, we've also always had Crazy Egg as a self-funded business, uh, and we wanted to just personally spend more time on it. It's been a while with uh, Kissmetrics, and there's been all kinds of uh, road bumps as well as sort of milestones and stuff like that that we met. And so it was basically time for us to sort of, you know, find someone who, who wants to run it for another five, six, seven years as the leader of the company. Got it. Okay. All right. It's time for our lightning round. I'm, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd just like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Does that work? Sounds good. Great. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Sure. Just get started. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, because I think everyone can think better. I actually read that book a few books, a few months ago. I love it. Okay. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, somebody posted this on Facebook, and I'm going to use the word. It's uh, the figure-out ability, so they can figure anything out. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I really love SaneBox. Uh, SaneBox makes it so that uh, a lot of the, the stuff coming into my email box uh, basically uh, doesn't uh, doesn't get into my email box. So it's very hard to actually get in my main email box. And that lets me uh, stay prioritized on the things that are most important. If you had to start over tomorrow, how would you go about finding that next business opportunity? Um. I just explore the things that are growing the fastest right now, uh, even though they might be small. So mobile is obviously one that a couple of years ago you would look at. I think there's other areas where there's markets that are growing really fast that you can get into. 
um, and sort of uh, look at. So it's basically just looking at early trends and having some definition of how you look at early trends. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't think I've talked about this too much. Uh, I, I can eat really, really, really spicy food. I can eat chilies raw. I, I grow ghost peppers <laughs> in my I, go, I grow ghost peppers in my backyard, and I I can eat like literally one whole one a day uh, with all my meals. So, and I really like it. And uh, yeah, so I can eat very, very hot stuff. <laughs> All right. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Um, I know this is going to be a little cliche, but I have a four and a half year old son and I have a now nine month old daughter. And after having my four and a half year old son, uh, watching him grow up so fast, I'm just trying to spend as much time as I can with them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I don't know what it is about having kids, but suddenly you just seem to feel like you're getting older a lot faster. Well, also at some, at some point, you know that they're not going to care about you, like in the <laughs> yeah. same in the same way that they do right now. Like, I mean, uh, I'll just leave leave with one more where it's like it still crushes me every time I come home later than he likes, and he looks at me and goes, "Daddy, why are you late today?" And oh, wow. it's it just it's just it, you know enough 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 times of that, and you're like, "All right, I probably shouldn't be late in his mind, right?" Uh, yeah. And so so yeah, things like that. Awesome. Those are great answers. Heaton, I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Um, now, if folks want to find out about Crazy Egg or Kissmetrics, uh, or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. My, my email is pretty public. Uh, it's my Twitter handle, which is H-N-S-H-A-H at uh, gmail.com. So seriously, email me. It might take me a little bit to get to you because I do use SaneBox and it does filter. <laughs> and I check that about once a week, sometimes uh, once every other day. Uh, and again, it's to prioritize all those folks that are working in my companies and you know really need me at that time. Uh, and uh, besides that, it's crazyegg.com, kissmetrics.com. I also have a SaaS email newsletter in case you're interested in software where I'm sharing links. So it's, I'm not writing my own content there. I'm just sharing links. Uh, to other people's content, uh, things that I'm learning from, and uh, it's at heaton.com. Yeah, and I signed up for that newsletter, uh, I believe, a couple of months ago, and I, I definitely recommend that. There's a ton of great content that you're sharing there. Great. You're an early adopter. Thank you. Cool. All right. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you continued success. Same here. Thank you. Take care.